The reading is Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 38. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They may go away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is Paul, if you don't know me or haven't met me, and we're going to take a look at that passage in just a moment. Those were really terrific words that we were listening to. Why don't we turn them into a prayer and pray together? Father, we pray that we would, uh, we would have belief, we would have growing, deepening belief in you and understanding of who you are and how you've made us to relate to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you to uh, Sylvia for our reading. Um, and we're going to look at that passage in just a moment. Last week, as we were hearing, we had, if you weren't with us last week, we had a, a part of Matthew just before this where we met a woman, a Canaanite woman, a non-Jewish woman, and we saw the, um, the exchange that she had with Jesus um, and what took place. And we learned that although Jesus' mission was first and foremost to God's people, Israel, and that actually when he, he saw the great faith in her, he was moved, he responded to that. And she spoke to him, and they, uh, she used a picture, there was a, 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 a parable, a story, about giving uh, food to children in the household. And she used that picture and said, yes, but, but I deserve too the, the scraps, the crumbs. I deserve those as well. Uh, and Jesus responded to that very positively. But we might have come away from thinking, well, so here was a, a story with Jesus and this woman, and we were talking about scraps of food and crumbs under the table. And, well, it was okay. You made a lot of it, Paul. But, uh, uh, but it's a bit stingy, really, isn't it? 
uh, a few crumbs that are thrown to somebody. And it's as if Matthew, in uh, the gospel that he's writing, then tells us, well, okay, so you ain't seen nothing yet. And what we see today is this extraordinary miracle of feeding, one that seems very, very similar, as we heard, to the feeding of the 5,000. And in lots of ways, that's the key point of why we have this passage in the Bible, that it is similar to what we saw before, but instead, now we see non-Jewish people, Gentiles, receiving what previously Jewish people had received. And we don't just see Gentiles, non-Jewish people being given scraps and crumbs, we see them being welcomed to a banquet, uh, a messianic banquet, the banquet, the feast of the Messiah, if you like. And I'll explain what I mean as we go along um, and hopefully unpack that a bit for us. Um, I'm going to just draw out a couple of things as we go. And the first of them um, is this, that what happens, what we see with this, um, uh, this great uh, story, um, uh, miracle feeding, was that Jesus causes outsiders to marvel, to wonder, to praise to praise Israel's God um, as they go. So it starts with verse 29. Jesus left there where he was and went along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, if I can get my map out again to have a, help us do, because we've been looking at this as we've gone along, we've seen where Jesus is. He's been up in the north. Um, when I was talking about him last week, we saw that he was in the north, where those two squares are, Tyre and Sidon. That was where he met the Canaanite woman. He's then travelled um, east and, and further south a little, um, the little uh, area there is the, um, the Sea of Galilee, uh, Marks, and then the circle, the purple circle, is the area that Jesus has traveled round and down to. Mark calls it, in his gospel, the region of the Decapolis. It's a sort of area. It's a non-Jewish area, a Gentile area. He has moved out of God's uh, um, uh, area of Israel. Um, and previously he had fed 5,000 people in a Jewish area, and now... He has moved out of that area, and it's the small differences that tell us some of that story of, of, of what's going on here. So, for example, the word, um, that, uh, about, uh, the word for baskets that you get later in the story um, is a Gentile word. It's not a Jewish term for it. Um, let me use a modern-day example for us. If you are from the UK, I know not everyone is, you'll know that the word for bread rolls, bread, uh, um, is different around the country, depending on where you're from. And you, can, uh, you might be somebody where a bread roll is a balm, and you might be somebody who a bread roll is a bap. And you can tell where somebody is from by what they use. And there may be some other words as well that uh, get, get thrown in there. But you know, somebody uses the word and you go, oh, I know where you're from. So that's a similar idea here. And then later at the end of the story, we'll find that they cross back over the water to a place called Magadan, which is back again across to the other side. And that's back into the Jewish territory of the time. So they are in, the point of all this, why am I telling you? They are in a non-Jewish area. But what happens... What we see happen is 100% Jewish Messiah activity, okay, in a non-Jewish area. What we're told in verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Now, all the things that um, are talked about here were described back in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the book of Isaiah, 
um, that this is what the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish rescuer, would, this is what you would see him do. This is what would be signs that the Messiah was here. And so they're all examples of, uh, of things that, uh, uh, that Jesus himself pointed to. And, and when people were asking who he was, he said, look, you see these things happening. I am this Jewish Messiah you've been waiting for. But can you see? They are all happening in a non-Jewish area to those who weren't of that heritage and background. And what happens? Well, verse 31, we're told, and they praised the God of Israel. They're praising a God who's not their own God. That's the impact of it. And this week, I don't know if you've been enjoying the football and uh, what's been going on. I imagine it divides people and some do and some don't. But I was enjoying the football um, through this week and I got to see the, uh, the highlights of the Wales-Turkey uh, game, which was uh, very exciting earlier this week. Um, and I don't know if you got to see it, uh, but if you happen to, I've got a picture of uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. When they were in full flow together, they were quite a sight to behold. It was quite something to enjoy. And I can't have been the only one who doesn't have a sort of strong interest in Wales personally, but I sat back and I marveled at what they could do. Uh, I enjoyed their, you know, this wonderful pass of Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey picked it up and scored. It was very exciting. And I marveled and I praised the football gods of Wales. And then on Friday evening, I wondered if the football gods of Wales would lend a hand to England. But lo, they did not. Um, and we struggled on as we do. But there we go. Uh, now, I don't believe in football gods, for those of you who are you know, <laughs> recording this and thinking, where's he gone? But you see, they pray in, in what happened in this story, they praised a god who wasn't their own because of what they saw happening. And let's say for a moment that you are somebody who is, perhaps you're skeptical or unsure of, of Jesus. It might be that your, your experience of church actually has been such that you would be uh, that way because that's been, it's not been a good experience down the years. Or your experience of Christians uh, has been um, uh, difficult. Or perhaps you're just wary, you're wary, you've got a bone to pick with something that Jesus teaches or says. And, but, but perhaps whatever does get under your skin, whatever your experience has been, I wonder how many of us would look at what we see here and, and say, huh, he really does actually treat the weak and the vulnerable remarkably. You might be somebody who says, look, I've really got no interest in Jesus, you know, but to be honest, he does do more for those who are at a disadvantage in life than I have ever done. And can you see at that point, we're at the very least, we're, we're marveling in Jesus. We're marveling at who he is. And you might be somebody who isn't doesn't feel you're kind of ready to follow Jesus entirely, but perhaps I wonder if we're honest with ourselves that he is more kind. He stoops to those who are more lowly than many of us do. And we see it, don't we, as he, uh, these wonderful things happen to those who were mute and lame and crippled and blind. So there's a picture here of the people marveling at Israel's God, but it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop at that point. Um, secondly, then, Jesus invites outsiders in. He invites them to eat and be satisfied. So it's more than just marveling from a distance. So we pick it up at verse 32 and the miracle itself of the feeding. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I don't want to send them away hungry, or they, they may collapse on the way. 
his disciples said, well, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, says Jesus? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Do you ever wonder after the first time when, uh, when Jesus asked them, you know, have you got any food? And they sort of look, look around at each other. It, they must have, as a group, said, one of us must always have some bread on us, just in case this comes up. Every time we go somewhere, he seems to kind of go, who's got some food? And rather than us all just look around and kind of go, I've no idea. Anyway, so one, one of them has got a few. How many loaves do you have? Seven and a few small fish. And he t- tells the crowd to sit down. He takes the loaves and the fish gives thanks, he breaks it and gives it to them, saying uh, to his disciples, and they in turn to the people, and then we're told they were all ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, they picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children, and then after that, the crowd uh, went away and he uh, goes across to the other side. Now, Sarah talked to us about some of the differences and similarities of this. The difference is it is a more remote place. The landscape on the um, eastern side, um, there's the hillsides where they would have gone up to, um, it seems like it's less like the kind of flat, grassy area from the previous miracle. It's seven loaves, not five. It's um, a few small fish, not two. It's seven basketfuls. And that seems to have some significance because previously when he fed 5,000, you remember there were 12 basketfuls. And they seem to be symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, as if to say, here is all of Israel being fed and nourished in the way perhaps God did in the Old Testament. Here they're being renewed. Here is the Messiah feeding them, God's people. But now we have seven basketfuls, which may just be more of a symbol of completion in the, uh, in the non-Jewish world. Seven basketfuls that just similarly signals, here is a, a completion. Here is everyone being offered Uh, a meal and satisfaction. And the differences, I think, are just to help us remind us that it is different to the last time. But the overall story is the same. Here are these people in need and they are fed. And the reason for that is that I think it's the same miracle because here we see the same thing happening to the Gentiles. The same thing that was offered to God's people is now offered to those who weren't. And I think that's the bit that's meant to make us sit up and look and kind of go, oh, he's doing that, but he's doing it there. Um, in the news over the weekend, after the um, game on Friday evening, um, there was uh, news coverage of um, fans of Scotland uh, who were clearing up uh, the litter that was in London. I don't know if you saw this. It was put as a positive news story. Um, here were the Scottish fans who'd been celebrating in London and watching the game. And then they were, there they were, uh, working hard to clear the place up. And you kind of, it, it's perhaps a little bit like that. You, if we had seen them, your, your response might have been, well, if they were in their own city, you can understand them clearing it up. But here they were somewhere else, and they were offering to do it. You see, they were doing that, but they were doing it here. You see the same kind of idea um, of what's going on. Um, And the way Matthew describes this uh, and what Jesus does when he feeds them, it's not just for show. It's not just a performance. It's not just to say, oh, you see what I did there? I can do this here as well. uh, Jesus, we're told, has compassion on these people. The word is uh, a deep kind of care, a deep emotion for someone. And we read that they too ate and were satisfied. It's not just a kind of token that they were given something tossed in that direction. Here was 
fullness and, and uh, being, being full and well-nourished and well-fed. You know that feeling if somebody, if, if you've uh, ever been welcomed into someone's home and uh, their hospitality is such that they give you uh, a lovely meal and you're really made to feel really welcome in the house and, um, and, and you, know, you enjoy being there and, and you leave full in every sense of the word, full emotionally, full physically in your tummy. Um, that's the, the sense here. It's not just for show or some uh, trick that he's doing. Here they are welcomed and they receive nourishment. Those who weren't of God's people, blessed in the same way that God's people were. Now, let's just pull together a couple of um, threads for this. Where does this leave us and what do we do with this? Well, for those of us, perhaps, um, I, the significance of this, particularly uh, if you are a Christian, and on particularly perhaps if, you want, if you're somebody who wants to try and pull together the whole story of the Bible, and is asking, well, okay, why, why exactly is this important? Why does this fit here? With the, uh, the, the, the number of women and children who would have been there, on to, um, as well as the men there, I think we could safely say there were over 10,000 people uh, who would have been at this feeding. And what Matthew is doing in putting the story here after the story of the Canaanite woman is he's showing us something. He's showing us kind of this growth in scale, if you like. So last week when we were looking at it, we saw Jesus talking with the Canaanite woman. He was one Gentile uh, who he related to and was blessed by him. Uh, and now, at this miracle feeding, we've got over 10,000 Gentiles. And Matthew is sort of showing us the scale of that. And where that, that fits into the Bible story is, here is Jesus, and I describe him as the Messiah, the rescuer, the messianic host, who invites anyone to his banquets. There was always an expectation that he would receive people with his hospitality, but here he invites anyone to his banquets. And that has always been part of God's plan for the world. So to trace that through the Bible, even at the very beginning, God's people, when they were called and formed, were always meant to be a blessing to the wider world and the wider nations. And through the Old Testament, we see different individuals who, who are brought into God's family, whether that's Rahab amongst uh, uh, the spies back in the Old Testament who is brought in, whether it's the figure of Ruth, um, from a different country who is brought into God's family. There's always been points at which those people have been received. And where those connect up, those dots connect up, brings us to Jesus feeding 4,000 Gentiles, which is a window, if you like, a picture of what will happen and takes us on to Pentecost in the church's year, which we looked at a few weeks ago, where the, the gospel message, the good news, is offered and spread out across the world. So do you see the dots that are being connected up? And this feeding, the reason it's so, it matters so much in a way is that before we get to Pentecost, we're being given a window onto what is being offered by Jesus to the world. God's family were always meant to be that kind of blessing. And when Jesus arrived, it's as though he's saying, look, this is how it's going to be. This is what I'm offering you. And for those who might be just a little more unsure, a little more, maybe a little more skeptical, I wonder if you can see Jesus moves across boundaries. Can you see how he does that? He moves outside of his natural group. Jesus is this kind of host whose hospitality extends to those we might not expect and perhaps wouldn't have expected to receive hospitality from a Messiah. Now, why does that matter? Why is that valuable for us? Just think for a moment. We... We live in a very polarized world, don't we, at the moment? 
Uh, Tim talked about this a few weeks ago when we began our series. We actually have a, a, it's quite a harsh place in lots of ways, particularly on social media. We live in quite a polarized world on various issues in society. And in that kind of context, failures are often seized upon and there can be little room for forgiveness or mistakes. And actually, it's pulled us into sort of polarized groups and tribes. And you find yourself having to take a position that is further and further apart from someone else. And the reality of that is then you can find yourself in a, in a tribe, in a group, where actually the, the overriding emotion is almost one of fear. Fear that you might actually yourself be cast out of that tribe. There is very little uh, grace or forgiveness. We can be cast out of a tribe for whatever failure it might be. We can live in fear. And some here may, may live in fear of thinking, I'd, I could easily lose my place in this tribe. And I wonder if we can see, just as we look at Jesus here, Jesus looks to those outside of his tribe and says, you are welcome here. You are welcome with me. And as we look at what he does and how he crosses those boundaries, I wonder in the worlds that you're in at the moment, have you come across kindness greater than that? I wonder if you've found that kind of kindness anywhere else. It's something perhaps to reflect on, to see in Jesus' character here. Actually, he moves across those boundaries. He comes to us, uh, to us, many of us who would not uh, have a Jewish heritage, and he brings to himself and satisfies, offers satisfaction to those who come to him. 